Hello, I'm Tony Millward and welcome to another episode of the Rockface podcast. My guest today is a professional musician who really knows how to capitalise on his creative talents. He's a singer-songwriter who performs in pubs, clubs, care homes, private events and festivals, as a solo artist and with his swing band. He hosts open mic evenings around the East Hampshire and Surrey area. He writes a column for his local newspaper. He organises the rustic stage at the annual Wayfest Music Festival. He volunteers at his local Oxfam Music and Bookshop. His streams on Spotify exceed more than 4,500 a month. I'm very grateful he found the time to have a chat with me as I welcome Vic Cracknell to the Rockface podcast. Vic, thank you very much for agreeing to come on to the Rockface podcast. Oh, thank you, Tony. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you. Uh, I know you've just come straight from a gig in a care home. Indeed. Um, so I was wondering, what do you think is the importance? Uh, what do you get out of it? And what do the residents get out of it, do you think? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, what I get out of it is uh, <clears throat> a, a very appreciative audience uh, yeah. in, in a care home um, because um, maybe there's not too much going on uh, for people uh, and uh, so uh, the entertainer for the afternoon can be uh, quite the focus of the day really yes. and uh, you know I, I tend to find if people are feeling a little bit down then uh, a bit of music cheers them up and um, yeah. I tend to bring back some memories of uh, yesteryear. Mm. Yeah, do you uh, get many requests? Do they have a sort? Of, do they sort I, of remember their favourite songs? Well, and... it's interesting that occasionally uh, a favourite song will come up, but more often than not, uh, I kind of steer them in a direction uh, of uh, thinking about uh, maybe a favourite singer or a favourite musical or yeah. something, and that normally sparks something where they'll they'll say. Uh, Today, for example, uh, the chap who was a big Perry Como fan. Oh yes. Uh, so we had a couple of a uh, couple of his big hits. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, this gentleman was nine, 91 years old. And, uh, wow. Um, and then he started singing along. And oh, that's it, it's, nice. It's, it's really wonderful. And uh, and he'd actually only been in the home for four or five days, sort of settling in. Uh, so it was rather nice for him today that uh, you know he could uh, he could. Uh, feel a bit more at home maybe. yeah i bet he enjoyed yeah. that yeah so you you must have quite a large repertoire do you are they just all stored in your head or do you have a massive <laughs> book of songs and... well i i i do i do have a, a, a some help with my ipad um yeah uh, uh, just mainly to remind me of the the names of songs as much as anything else but yeah. uh you know a bit of help here and there but uh I actually have my, my songs listed by year, which really does help. And, and in fact, that's something I sometimes do, is I say, uh, give me a year over the last hundred years even. And, wow. Uh, and then, you know, someone will say 1957 or 1942 or something, and I can hopefully play them something from that year. That's fantastic. And yeah. do you come out feeling sort of good, elated yourself as well? I do, I yeah. do, because, you know... Uh, I, the, the the mood changes and you can tell as you're packing down your gear at the end it, you know uh you know people are a bit happier and uh, mm. a bit more cheery uh and uh you know they're, they're very grateful and appreciative 
I think music cheers people up anyway, doesn't it? it? Does. If, if you're listening to it or if you're it performing does. it, you know. I think what it does is it takes you right back to where you were when you heard that song. Oh, maybe definitely. Maybe on, on the radio or, or records or whatever it might be. Yeah, songs are a great memory jogger, aren't they? They really are. Yeah. 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 yeah, and you can sort of get the feeling and everything and, you yeah. know, instantly remember <clears throat> where you were, what you were doing. Absolutely. And yeah. on a more serious point, I mean, those uh, that have dementia... Um, I mean, it's absolutely proven that, that music is really good for people because, uh, uh, as the adage goes, people may not remember what they've just done five minutes ago, but uh, they may remember the lyrics to a complete song. Um, yes. I've seen it so many times. And I think it's amazing that people like um, Tony Bennett oh, yes. and Glenn Campbell, who yes. were suffering from dementia, yes. they could still get on the stage and remember every song word for word oh absolutely um and uh yeah i think i think that proves the point yeah big, yeah big fan of both of them yeah yes yeah uh he did his um sort of farewell concert quite recently yeah he, he did in, in new york tony bennett yeah yes it was yeah. lady gaga and he's lady still got gaga. the voice he's still got the voice oh, amazing yeah. voice yeah um uh, in fact he, he he one of his songs uh i think it's called keep the music playing yeah. or something like that uh, if you ever get a chance to see him perform that song uh, it's it's quite uh, I think when he did it even a few years ago he got a standing ovation for it in fact I saw Tony Bennett at the Royal Albert Hall about five or six years ago oh I bet that and, was good and his party piece at the end uh, was he sung Fly Me to the Moon uh, a cappella uh, no microphones uh, nothing the band uh, were quiet and uh you could literally hear it in every corner of the Royal Albert Hall. Mm, yeah. Quite amazing. I bet that was fantastic. My mum loves Tony Bennett. Yeah. Yeah, as do millions of other people. Um, I know that you were on BBC Sussex and Surrey in December. Yes. Uh, being interviewed. I was. By Sylvie Blackmore. Yes. So I'm just hoping I don't repeat too many questions <laughs> that she's asked. Yeah. Um, so I was, um, I saw that you've been a professional musician for around 17 years. So yes. I was wondering what are your earliest uh, memories of music and what inspired you to, be, to become a musician in the first place? Yes. Uh, well, um, I started playing the drums when I was about 15. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I'd played music for some, some years, but, uh, uh, yeah, in 2005, uh, became a professional musician. Um, and um, I actually am an example of someone who came to it quite late because I started playing the piano when I was nearly 30 and the guitar a bit later. Right. Um, but I've always loved music. Uh, I grew up listening to music. And uh, I urge anyone who, who's younger to, to at least, uh, you know, try to have... Uh, music lessons if you can yeah oh that's good so list me all the instruments you you can play or <laughs> you know to a, a fairly good standard okay. i mean obviously the piano well yes the piano and that's probably what i play more of uh than anything else uh these days uh yeah i really love the piano it's my favorite instrument um uh drums which i uh started uh, as i say quite young uh, guitar, uh, a little bit of ukulele. Uh, I yep. think maybe I'll I'll stop there. <laughs> I've had a go at bass. 
No, I've never played the bass. Yeah, so and, and singing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm of course, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, <clears throat> uh, one of the things I do like to do is uh, I'm a, I am a great fan of uh, jazz, uh, mm. particularly as a, uh, and uh, I do like going to uh, a few of the uh, the jazz jams that are around. Um, oh right, and uh, that's where you tend to get really really good mu musicians. Um, with a, like a house band of maybe a piano, a double bass, and drums. And they're basically just playing jazz standards and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah. I like going along and just literally singing uh, with, with the house band. And, uh, Fantastic. Something, something uh, I'm doing. not trying to flatter you, but um, <laughs> I was listening to uh, your albums. Oh, and yes. the swing ones in particular um, brings to mind Robbie Williams. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah, your oh. vocal quality. You know yeah. that album he brought out, Swing When You're Winning, I think it was called. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Well, I think he brought out two, Swing Both Ways, I've, I think it was the other one. Yes, yes. And I just thought, your voice is quite similar, and okay. I could imagine him singing some of your songs. <laughs> well, I wish he would, and then I'd, I'd be <laughs> yeah, a rich man. You could retire. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I think probably, well, thank you for that, um, but... My influence vocally is, uh, you know, uh, really people like Frank Sinatra, Nat yep. King Cole, yep. um, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Billy Holiday. Uh, Mel Torme? Mel, oh, Mel Torme, yes. yes. Mm. Uh, Do you like the modern versions like Harry Connick and... Um, yeah, Harry Connick Jr. Uh, Michael Bublé. And, uh, yeah, uh, Mickey Bubbles, as they say, Michael yeah. Bublé. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as Claire Teal calls him, Mickey Bubbles. Mm. Um uh, he gets a lot of stick, Michael Bublé. Uh, he does, really. yeah. Uh, some but people, I, I think, think it's a bit unfair, really, because he, he is a studied singer, because you can hear elements of a lot of the great singers um, in his voice. Uh, definitely, and, yeah. Uh, definitely a bit of Sinatra. So, uh, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, no. Uh, great Michael arrangements Michael, as well, Michael Great Bublé. arrangements. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So you write uh, a lot of songs. You've got three albums out. And yeah. uh, I think you've got about 17 singles or EPs you've released over the years. Yes. Um, so when you write a song, uh, what instrument do you write on? Well, it would be the piano or guitar. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, songs come in different ways and, and there are many songwriter podcasts out there and uh, which uh, which go into great detail of uh, you know how people were inspired to write songs and all that kind of thing yeah um for me it's just maybe having an idea it might be a phrase or something or it might be a a, 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 a melody line um, i'm very mm -hmm. keen on on melody in songs yes. uh, and, so am i and you know so that's why i tend to prefer uh the oldest songs from the American Songbook and, and those kind of eras up to yeah. the singer-songwriters of uh, uh, Lennon McCartney and uh, Burt Bacharach and uh, Joni Mitchell, Paul Simon. All I, love, those yeah, I love all of so, that. Um, you know, so uh, it, it would come maybe from a, a, a song idea or a phrase or, a, or, or something or other. We just kick-start something and then once yeah. I've got a little something, uh, I sort of build it from there. Right. So there's no set formula. You, Not really a set formula. No. no. And when you actually get that idea, do you want to get it down as soon as possible or do you just record it into your 
memo well, I, app on your phone? I, or? I do tend to record little yeah. bits on my phone. I've got uh, I've got quite a few bits and pieces on, on my phone, and it might just be a phrase or something. An example of that would be the title track of my last album, Rediscover. Yes. And the song Rediscover, uh, which starts off with uh, a phrase, uh, have you heard the bird song? Mm. And that was during the first lockdown during COVID. Um, and I was out walking one day and uh, I literally did hear the bird song. It seemed to be louder with uh, less traffic on the roads. and um, Oh, I think so, yeah. Fewer aeroplanes in the sky and all that kind of thing. And I just came up with that, that with a phrase, have you heard the birds? And I sung it into my phone. And then I came home and I sat at the piano and basically wrote the song fairly quickly after that, actually. And it's lovely when that happens, but it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. I've, I've got loads of ideas on my phone. Yes. Whether I'll actually do anything with them at any point, <laughs> I don't know. I've got loads of recorded songs which I've started and yes. haven't actually got around to finishing. So that's why I've never released an album, because I've just got a pile of unfinished songs. Um, well, one idea, Tony, is to collaborate with other people, of course. Um, yes. And I do a little bit of songwriting with a, with a couple of other guys. and uh, well, That's quite a, a useful thing as well, to mm. collaborate. Yeah. Yes, I was going to come on to that a bit later. So, um, yeah, bear that in mind. We come back to that side of it. Yeah. Um, so... Would you say you're a prolific songwriter? I mean, some some people or some songwriters they t they tend to write something every day, whether it turns out to be good or bad, just to keep the you know keep the muscles strong. But, yeah. um, well, I I have good intentions, but yeah. uh, no, I wouldn't say I'm a prolific songwriter. I really feel I have to have some solid idea or something uh, fairly worthwhile motivate myself to pursue it really yeah um, <clears throat> no i'm not one of these ones that can just run off a song every day and whatever uh, so i'm uh, assuming from what you said to me earlier you're not uh sort of very technically minded that you don't um sort of have a home recording studio no i don't uh no i i tend to sit down at the piano or the guitar and and just play ideas into my phone or that kind of thing yeah um I have been uh, recording with a, 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 a talented young producer called Joe Wright. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, he has a studio called uh, Hillside Studios. Right. Um, Whereabouts is that based? Uh, he's sort of between Alton and Petersfield. Right. Uh, out that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, he, he is a, 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 a great producer. And so we've been working together now for maybe a year or two. Uh, and uh, most of my re recent releases have been with him. And, mm. uh, so I tend to maybe have uh, a sort of uh, a demo or something that I, uh, that I can send him or an idea for a song, and then uh, he's very good at uh, coming up with ideas and direction and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. And he produced your latest single, Easy Life. He did. Which is, has got a bit of a country feel to it. It has, yeah. And... Um, the subject matter, I would say it's uh, what we all dream of having. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, doing nothing, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Having an easy time. Yeah, and yeah. what's wrong with that? That's what, yeah. what we all strive for, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's um, the single before that was called Search for the Highest Star, uh, Search for the Highest Star, and uh, that was quite a complex kind of piano-y song, and I thought, well, my next release is going to be something, it's an easy three-quarter, so uh, it's a fairly straightforward 
uh, happy, relaxed kind of song. Yeah, it's catchy. Yeah, I think it's very yeah. catchy yeah. and upbeat. Yeah, I would say. So um, yeah, I'd just like to go on to your albums. Really, uh, your first one was released in 2010. Nowhere to somewhere. That's right. Uh, I enjoyed listening to it. There were two standout tracks for me. Uh, the first one was Moving Train. Okay. Uh, which is sort of up-tempo. It's got quite a funky yeah. beat to it. Um, and there's another one I really like yeah. uh, called Never Again. Yes. Um, that sounds like it's quite a personal song for you. It is quite a personal song. Um, <clears throat> yes, I remember writing that one. Uh, and it was, uh, well, it's an anti-war song, really. Yeah. It, well, it's about the First World War and, uh, and, and uh, the awful loss of life on all sides yeah. um, in, that, in that war. Mm. Um, and I guess the personal connection is my uh, grandfather, who I never met on my mother's side, Fred Ross. Right. And uh, <clears throat> he lost his arm in the First World War. Um, so, yes, it, it's really just, um, just, just looking at the uh, uh, stupidity of war, really, and... And then we went how and did it, it all never, over again. Yeah, how it should <laughs> never happen. It should, it should be never again. Um, but, um, yes. Yeah. Well, my grandfather he he was a he was a prisoner of war in the in the Second World War, and he was missing for yeah. three years. Mm -hmm. uh, he was building the railway between Thailand and Burma. Ah, yes. But um, there was happy ending because he survived. Good. And, um, so going on to the next album, 2018, Voice of Love. Yes. Great album. Um, my standout track for that one is Lady with Dancing Feet. Ah, and okay. I, well, have you got any stories about that one? I've got a feeling you might have. Well, yes, that one, <clears throat> again, was really uh, inspired by me playing in the care homes, actually. Yeah. And uh, I can vividly remember playing in uh, a particular care home uh, where there was a lady there uh, who was singing along to a lot of the old songs that I would play. And uh, she was quite a short lady, sat in her seat, and uh, her feet actually didn't touch the ground. <laughs> um, and uh, as I was singing the songs, yeah. uh, her feet would be going up and down in rhythm to the music. So it gave me an idea that maybe I could write an imaginary song about a lady who was a dancer in her youth. Right. So that's where the idea of the lady with the dancing feet came from. Uh, so the so it is an imaginary song, but it's it's about someone who was perhaps a dancer back in the day. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's what Lady with the Dancing Feet is about. Yeah, that's a great song. Uh, Rediscover is your latest album. Came yes. out in twenty twenty. Yes. Um, Reach one person, which is about making a connection, probably with a somebody special in your life yes uh, i particularly like that one warm september sun mm -hmm. great chorus very catchy reggae yeah. sort of uh, beat to it yeah. um i was a bit intrigued because at the end of the chorus you sing uh something like picking up plastic as i walk along and i think is there a bit of an eco message in that uh, yeah there's an eco message <laughs> is that in what there? it was I, I, that's exactly what it was yeah uh, oh that's good Tony, well picked up on that yes um <clears throat> No, it's about a particular favourite beach uh, in the Algarve in Portugal, and um, uh, 
the the song is mainly about that. Yeah. Um, but even in a lovely place like that, uh, uh, you still see um, uh, plastic o on the beaches mm. out there, but you see it everywhere. And uh, uh, so my wife and I would would go along the beach sometimes and uh, and pick up the plastic. And uh, even though you you look across an, an empty beach. And uh, it might look, not look like there's any rubbish on it. When you walk along and you pick up every little piece that's maybe been left around, you you, you come away with quite a bag full of uh, I know, of, yeah, uh, of plastic. Yeah, that's a bit of a bone of yeah. contention with me. Uh, the plastic pollution in the seas. Yes. And um, well, the last time I managed to get abroad was um, my wife and I went to Paros, one of the Greek islands. Oh yes. And um, I noticed a lot of the restaurants were using plastic cups for coffees and things like that. Yes. Uh, but since then, it's become a plastic-free island. Oh, that's good. So they've cut out all plastics in yeah. all, all, all outlets, which I think is fantastic. Yes. So that's a step in the right direction. Uh, but getting back to point, um, I love the song, What Kind of Music, which is what um, every sort of live performer encounters <laughs> yes. when you're setting up and somebody comes up and says, oh, what, you, what kind of stuff do you play, mate? Absolutely. Sort of thing. Yeah, that's And it does, right. you know, I, I mean, I suppose it's good that they're taking an interest, but it does get yeah. a little bit irritating, yeah. doesn't it? I, I play that one a lot live, actually, when I do a solo gig. Yeah. I normally put that one in and uh, it works very well live. Um, that and... Uh, I tend to extend it and uh, change the key and change the rhythms and everything, just to sort of explain that I do play different types of music. Yes, but it, but it, it it's actually I dedicate it to anyone who's ever written a song um, and tried to play it in front of a, an audience who just is not interested or won't even give it a listen, um, because uh, you know it takes a lot to write a song uh, mm. and. Uh, you put your heart and soul into it and then you want to go and perform it live and then, you know, someone will shout, can you play Wonderwall or, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> American Pie or something. I know, I think... And it can be very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Some pubs or some crowds in pubs that they just want some familiar music yeah. and they want to be able to chat I mean, away. It, it's understandable. If it was a yeah. Friday or Saturday night. Yeah, of course, that's what people want to hear. I mean, you know, I do enough covers gigs myself to know, mm. know what that's about. But, uh, but some, sometimes it is, uh, uh, I, you know, it's just polite to listen to something. Someone yes, written. of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and if uh, you've written it yourself, it's, it's your baby and you want yeah. everybody to just mm. stop talking, and listen to it. Don't you mm. quite naturally? Um, yeah. Another track on that album, which I really like, is the instrumental, Sand Dream. Ah, Sand Dream, yes. And you don't do many instrumentals, do you? I don't. In fact, I'm desperately trying to uh, write some more instrumentals. Mm. Um, uh, and I know you write instrumentals, don't you, Tony? Yes. Um, uh, well, uh, it's actually now become my most streamed song, uh, Sand Dream. Um, I did see that. It's over 70,000 streams, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, at this, at this point. Um, yeah, because I think generally instrumental music uh, does very well on the streaming platforms, um, right? Because people tend to have uh, music on while they're working or relaxing mm. or whatever, and uh, and obviously instrumental music. But no, yeah. that was I'd like to write some more um, instrumental music. It's, it's it's nice, just literally 
having a blank canvas, literally, mm. at, at the piano and, uh, and coming up with something. Uh, uh, so that's how that one came about. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's nice. And, and, and you don't have to worry about writing lyrics, which I find oh. quite difficult sometimes. Um, I, course, I sort of get you, the first yeah. verse and think that's fantastic and maybe a chorus yeah. and then I think, now what? <laughs> <laughs> of course, what you can do is write an instrumental and then come up with some lyrics later. If, it, if it's a strong mm. enough melody, because that's, that's how songwriters used to do it in the old days. You used to have uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein, for example, yeah. and Richard Rodgers uh, would write the uh, music and... Um, Oscar Hammerstein would, would write the words. Uh, and I can't remember which came first, whether the words are written before the music. And mm. then, of course, most famously, um, Elton John and Bernie Taupin, uh, where uh, Elton John gets the lyrics from Bernie Taupin and he yes. gets the music to the lyrics. And, and Chris Difford and, and Glenn Tilbrook. Is that the way they work? As yes, well? yes. One, I, I, yeah. yeah, I didn't yeah. realise that until yes. quite recently. One yes. of them does the music and the other one does the lyrics. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a good way of doing it if you're particularly good at lyrics and not so much the music. Yeah. Um, so you've got, you're working on a new album at the moment, aren't you? I am working on a new album, yes. <clears throat> How's it going? Uh, it's going well. I have released a, a few tracks from it, <clears throat> but I've held some back uh, that will go on the album. Um, but yeah, it's just another collection of, of, of songs of, of different, different sorts. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, some I wrote during the, uh, the, the lockdown period, uh, I seem to be writing a bit during, during those times. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a, just a collection of, of different tracks. Um, I think it's going to be called, uh, Kindness, uh, after one of the songs that I've written. So, right. Um. Uh, and the theme of that song is, is, is basically <laughs> about being nice to one another. Uh, so yes, yeah, yeah. Well, so that's that, a good that will theme. be the theme of the album anyway. Mm. Well, I'll look forward to that. Any idea yeah. when uh, it might be available? Hopefully, in the next couple of months, or uh, right. certainly in twenty twenty two. Anyway. So when you're recording an album, uh, we talked about you. You play a bit of drums. You play the keyboards, guitar. How many instruments do you play when you're recording an album? Well, um, now I'm working with Joe Wright. He he rather plays quite a lot himself. Does he? He's a very good guitarist. Right. Um, so I I tend to maybe just play the keyboard or, or the guitar and yeah. uh, obviously sing on it. So that's mainly what I do on the album. Mm. Yeah. And that's all done in the studio, so you don't have to worry about the engineering side of it. You no. I don't. They just stick you in front of a microphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you play the piano and sing at the same time, or you do them separately? I tend to do them separately. Mm. Yeah. Um, but no, I tend to leave that to someone like Joe, who's uh, yeah. much, much more uh, capable than me, things like that. Mm. And when you um, when you choose your musicians, do you just choose them from friends, or do you get recommendations, or...? They just happen to be people you know. Well, to be honest, between me and Joe, we we tend to cover most most bases. Uh, occasionally, bring someone else in, um, uh, particularly backing vocals. Yeah. Um, there's a, a a very talented singer called Julia Kay, uh, who quite often sings uh, backing vocals on on my albums. Um, yeah. So that that's uh, that really lifts some of the songs. Excellent. Okay. Um, 
certain songwriters, they seem to have certain themes or ideas that they go back to. And mine is dreams. I tend to write a lot about dreams or mention dreams. And I notice this isn't a criticism because lots mm. of song songwriters do it. You tend to mention trains quite a lot. And I was wondering, <laughs> I mean, you may not have even uh, noticed, uh, but I was, do you think there might be any reason for that? Did you used to commute or? Oh, is it, right. No, I, I'll I, give you some examples. Moving yeah. train, uh, six stops. Ah, oh, six stops. Easy yeah. life mentions easy life. getting the train, the train. <laughs> and walking the six stops. <laughs> as well, the, well, the, 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 the yes, there's, there's not any particular reason for, for, for trains. Um, the, the six stops on the tube and the walking the six stops. Yeah, uh, they're, they're connected. Those two songs because um, I, I wrote. Uh, Six stops on the tube uh, in the summer of two thousand and nine. Right, um, and I wasn't really going to mention this, but I, 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 I had some cancer at the time, um, and I was going up to uh, London each day for radiotherapy. Uh, right. So um, I was on the way to the hospital, um, University College Hospital up in London. Yeah. Um, each day for about. Uh, two or three minutes worth of uh, radiotherapy. And my journey each day was uh, from uh, Waterloo to um, Warren Street Tube on the Northern Line. Yeah. So it was six yeah. stops on the Tube. Oh, okay. So I wrote that song, Six Stops on the Tube, while I was doing those journeys. And again, it was an imaginary song about people commuting uh, to London. So that's the six stops thing. Um and then I revisited that, I think, in 2017 when I wrote uh, Walking the Six Stops because um, uh, I was going for my checkups there and uh, I decided I wouldn't take the uh, six stops on the tube, uh, but I would walk the six stops. <laughs> so ah, that's the healthy option. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's an interesting story. That was 2009, yeah. did you say? That was 2009. So thankfully that's, that's all in the past now. Thank yes. God. Yes. Um, I'd like to go on to Spotify. Okay. Because I was having a look at uh, your profile on Spotify and you get about four and a half thousand listeners a, a month, which mm. is no small amount. Uh, yeah. I mean, that is fantastic. So for um, a lot of people who are wondering, is it lucrative to get a lot of plays on Spotify? No, it isn't. Um and uh yeah there is there is something wrong there um because um uh, there has been a campaign called uh hashtag broken record or hashtag fix streaming hmm. uh, by a guy called tom gray uh, of the band gomez and it's been supported by the musicians union and the ivers academy which is a songwriting uh, thing um Basically, uh, to try and improve the remuneration for songwriters on streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, really, it's. Uh, I mean, I I think streaming is great, and uh, I love the fact that you can, you know, find pretty much any song you want by any artist. It's uh, great for so the consumer, isn't it? Ab absolutely great for the consumer. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm a big fan, uh, without doubt, but uh, the actual uh, scale of the remuneration, uh, as I say, particularly to songwriters, uh, is not what it should be and tends to favour the major labels and uh, particularly the big three. Uh, so 
there is some fixing to do in the system mm. to improve uh, the balance, shall we say. Um, but in saying that, you know, as I'm a, I'm a fan of streaming, and um, uh, I know some people who say, you know, oh, I'm not going to put my music on there because it's all the rip-off and all of that, but I don't believe that. And then it that. won't get heard at <clears throat> all. No, you, <laughs> no, you basically your, your music just won't get heard. I mean, what I love about it is the fact, you know, there could be someone uh, the other side of the world, um, you know, in Hawaii somewhere mm. or, or Japan or something, and, and they've, they've heard your song and they, they like your music. And, and uh, you know, I'm on Twitter and places like that, and, you know, yeah. they'll send me a nice comment. And I think, well... You know, if it wasn't for streaming, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have that kind of connection. Yes, so. didn't you get some airplay in a in a foreign country when you wrote a song about a particular place? Some was it Monchik? <laughs> well, yeah. Monchik is a song from Voice of Love, uh, which uh, is about a place in the Algarve, Monchika, um, mm. uh, um, and um, well, I'm not sure if it was particularly has been in a particular place but uh it, certainly that has been heard in a, in a lot of countries oh yeah, uh, yeah now actually i got i got a chap in australia uh who sent me a lovely video of him and his wife uh driving along uh mm. and they're driving along the highway and they're singing to Mon my song Sh mon chic and <laughs> that was quite a thrill yes yes yeah that's probably <laughs> what you're referring been, yeah. to yeah yeah yeah, from yeah. all those miles away, thousands of miles away. Yeah, that must it's be a great a, feeling. Yeah, that's a great feeling. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it, it, selling CDs or whatever is fine, but, you know, I don't think you'd probably get that uh, unless it was uh, on, a, on a streaming platform. Yes, the whole industry has changed, hasn't yeah. it, really? When you think that, yeah. you know, recording music used to be the mainstream income for a musician. Yeah. But now it's it's almost a minor part, and they're making all their money from yeah. live performances. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's the big names, that's obviously. Right. Um, so it, it just needs, uh, you know, there needs to be. I mean, there were, there has been a whole um, uh, uh, government. Uh, uh, it's gone before the uh, digital and uh, sports committee in mm. Parliament. Uh, the campaign uh, and. Uh, you know, hopefully there will be uh, a, a better shake for uh, particularly independent artists and independent songwriters because, uh, no, they're not being treated fairly currently. Yeah, and also I think musicians, uh, well, if you're not sort of mainstream or if you're of a certain age, you don't really have a platform. You don't, I, I mean, going back to the, the sort of 60s, early 70s, if you looked at the artists in the charts there was such a wide range of music i mean you used to get des o'connor alongside led zeppelin in the <laughs> yeah, charts and that sort right. of thing that's that doesn't right. happen anymore um there are loads of talented musicians out there who don't really get heard unless you sort of stumble across them or somebody recommends them no no they they, they don't and 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 then that leads me to you know like radio airplay and things mm. like that because yeah. uh uh, you know, it tends to be the ones who are pushed by the bigger labels who, who get the airplay or if an established... I think the other thing for me is if an established artist uh, has a new album out um, they uh, or a new single out, they tend to get airplay on, the, on, on, say, BBC Radio 2 or, you know, some of the yes. national stations. 
Uh, regardless of the quality of maybe how this latest <laughs> song or album is. Uh, whereas, you know, there's hardworking musicians out there touring the country, uh, you know, who could do with the airplay, uh, but who don't get it. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Ed Sheeran, actually, because mm. uh, he... Um, he played just about every open mic in the country before he made it, uh, and he worked really, really hard up and down the country, playing and playing and playing till he got heard. Uh, and now, of course, he's uh, he's a huge star. Um, yeah, and he's a great live performer as well. Great live performer, but um, you know, as I say, it's just uh, unfortunately um, there's an awful lot of independent artists who, who are very talented. I mean, I name a few. There's a lady called Lauren Housley uh, who uh, I went to see recently. Who's a very, very talented um, uh, performer with a band uh, who's uh, uh, up for some Americana uh, awards in the UK. Um, yeah. Another one is uh, Emma Stevens, who's a, a really, really good singer-songwriter who's completely independent uh, and uh, is out touring. Uh, Again, great songs. You'll you'll hear them on the streaming platforms mm. and, and whatever, and uh, at her website. But you know, all these sort of artists should be on the radio, but uh, they, they should they, be, yeah, on the, yeah, or in the mainstream media. Uh, but they they quite often they just don't get a look in, and it's I will look sad. them up, both of them. And there's one I particularly like called John Smith, singer songwriter. Oh yes, John who I've followed yes. for years, yes. and you know, great guitarist. Yes. But you mentioned him to most people and yeah, they just say, who? They you know, know, that's a beer, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, uh, <clears throat> and of course it's been hard with COVID because they haven't been able to gig and tour as much as they, they could. So, mm. uh, uh, you know, it's not, not easy. Yeah, it has mm. been difficult. Um, I'd like to move on to open mics because you yeah. host uh, quite a few open mic events in local pubs. Yes. Uh, up and down the county or counties. Mm. Um, you've been doing that since 2005, haven't you? So is that how you sort of stepped into professional, uh, well, well, sort of being a professional it, musician? It, it probably was actually. I I was probably hoping at the time that everyone would be bursting to hear all my solo uh, compositions <laughs> and uh, my solo output. Uh, wasn't quite the case uh, when I started out then, but yeah. uh, I did get the opportunity to take over a, a, a an, an open mic night in Hazelmere originally mm. at a pub that's no longer there, uh, the Crown and Cushion, and um, from uh, a, a chap who was moving uh, down to the coast, and so I started running open mic nights, and uh, yeah, I've been been doing them ever since really, and. Uh, I think what that has given is an opportunity to performers to perform in front of a live audience mm. and uh, get experience that way. Um, so it's 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 quite a social thing as well. Uh, people like to come out and play. You get all sorts of people coming out to play, whether they're uh, aspiring singer-songwriters or they're, they're just people who just like to come out and play a few cover songs or whatever. Uh, yeah well it certainly helped me because um i played in a few bands before i got yeah. married yeah and then when, when i got married and had kids i sort of didn't touch the guitar for years and mm. then i sort of got a taste for it again and i thought i'd really love to get back into that yeah and so i went along to some of your open mics and it really yeah. built up my confidence yeah and ultimately i got to form the duo that i'm in that in now oh well, that's good uh called 
TNH, by the way, just to give it a plug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, hmm. you you had Mike Dawes a few times, didn't you? Who's um, gone on to be uh, quite successful, well, very successful, yeah, and a brilliant guitarist. Yeah, yeah. Mike came to some some of the early nights. Uh, uh, that, that I put on, and um, yeah, he's gone on to great things. Uh, I think he's been, he's won a few, quite a few awards, I think, now for his guitar playing. Mm. And he, he also plays uh, with uh, Justin Hayward, uh, yeah, the Moody, Moody Blues, Blues yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, another good songwriter, yeah, yeah. Obviously, you play a lot of um, pub gigs, yeah. Do you do you find their attitude towards live music has changed since the pandemic uh i mean do they uh, do you think they're struggling with uh paying for live music because their income has obviously gone down have you found that's had any effect at all well i mean it obviously it obviously has had an effect i think there's just been a nervousness about uh, putting too much live music back on mm. uh, but i i think it will come back i'm, I'm really optimistic that it will come yeah. back uh Hopefully, to, to, I hope ha- so. to how it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, I think the, the pubs who really support live music, um, as ever, you just need to get people out to support it, you know, and that's always been the difficult thing. Um, but uh, you know, just uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but support live music. Definitely. Obviously, you're very active on the local music scene, either playing live music or hosting open mic nights. So over the years, um, you've met quite a few famous people, haven't you? So namely, Paul McCartney, do you have any rec- uh, any sort of um, memories of um, what happened there? How did you come to meet him for a start? Yes, well, uh, that was uh, a, complete a-, a complete surprise, that was. Um, I happened to be in London... Uh, about 20 years ago, I think it was. Uh, and uh, to cut a long story short, I was at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club, uh, the oh, legendary yes. Ronnie Scott's yeah. Jazz Club, and I was watch- watching uh, one of the acts playing there. And uh, if you've ever been to Ronnie Scott's Club, it's quite dark in there, and they have sort of t- have. T- table lamps on the, t- on the, on the tables. And I was uh, sat quite near the, the sort of back of the room, mm. and there was a, a corner seat um, right at the back of the club. And uh, I was watching the band, and uh, I was very conscious of someone coming in um, with maybe a couple of security people, and sat in the uh, uh, back seat, uh, corner, corner seat of, yeah. of the club, I looked up and I could not believe my eyes. I thought, that's Paul McCartney. Did he have and an entourage with him? Or he, just... didn't, he didn't have an entourage at all with him. Uh, he had his uh, former wife, Heather Mills, oh, with yes. him. Yeah. So he was sat uh, in, the, in the corner seat there. And I remember I was sat there and I thought, my goodness, uh, uh, legendary Paul McCartney is mm. sat there. 
uh, am I going to let this moment pass and uh, regret it the rest of my life that I didn't at least go and try and say hello to him or not? And mm. uh, to cut a long story short, I uh, steeled myself and I went and sat next to him in the corner seat uh, thinking I'd be slung out of the club. Mm. And I, I said, uh, uh, hello, hello, Mr. McCartney. Uh, can I just say hello? You know, I've loved your music uh, forever and ever. Bloody bloody blah, 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 and uh, he was very gracious enough to give me his time, and uh, I must have spent about ten or fifteen minutes having a chat with him. Uh, uh, that must have been and fantastic. It, was, uh, it really was. Uh, he was very kind, and uh, we had a little chat about music. And uh, um, anyway, uh, I obviously slightly overstaying my welcome because he said something like. Uh, well, it's very nice to meet you. Shall we get back to the music now? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, that was my uh, that was my uh, uh, time to leave. Well, it could have uh, been worse. I said, "No, that's right." Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so. I I love Paul McCartney. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, you yeah. mentioned melody. He's yeah. got such an oh, amazing sense of melody. Yeah, incredible sense of melody. Um, you know, there's there's the sort of John Lennon, Paul McCartney school of thought. I've I've always preferred. You know, I love John Lennon, but yeah. I've always preferred Paul McCartney. He just comes up with so many melodies. Oh, so many melodies, yeah. And he's so prolific as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely amazing musician. So that, so that was an absolute thrill. I did actually meet one other Beatle very briefly, and that was Ringo. Um, right. And I was at a Ray Charles concert in 1982, I think it was, um, at the Royal Festival Hall. And um, it, it was Ray Charles and uh, his orchestra. And... Uh, most of the audience was uh, was made up of well-known people because so many people had come out to uh, to see him. Mm. And Ringo was walking out with his wife, um, Barbara Bach. And uh, I remember going up to him and saying, can I have an autograph, please? And he said to me, have you got a pen? And I said, I haven't got a pen. He says, well, you can't have an autograph. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. But at least I got to see him anyway. That's fair yeah. enough. Yeah, that's fair at enough. At least you know he would have given yeah. an autograph. Autograph yeah, <laughs> and uh, Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts. Oh yes. Uh, Sadly, yeah, no yeah. longer with us. Yeah, that was that was a real thrill. Um, uh, it, it, he uh, he came to play a little gig at um, uh, Farnham Maltings, um, which right. is uh, in Farnham where I live. And uh, it's he had just, a jazz band, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, well, what he was a uh, wonderful piano player. Um, uh, called Ben Waters, um, some someone you, maybe you should get for this podcast, Tony. Ben Waters, mm. um, he uh, is one of the best uh, boogie woogie piano players in the country. Uh, ben, and he was doing a tour of uh, boogie woogie piano with a chap called Axel Swingenberger, who is one of Germany's top boogie woogie piano players. You did and, well to remember that name, yeah, and pronounce it. And when you get two piano players playing off one another is quite quite a thrill mm. and the connection was that they'd got uh, dave green as the bass player double bass player and dave green as a childhood friend of charlie watts uh, they went to school together and so when dave green was doing the gig uh he said to charlie would you like to play on you know the stones weren't touring at the time and he said yeah sure so they did a little tour with um with this boogie woogie piano set up uh, so Charlie Watts was the, the, the drummer. Uh, as it turned out, Dave Green actually wasn't on the gig uh, that I saw it because he couldn't make that 
particular night. But anyway, I got to meet Charlie um, backstage and uh, had a chat with him, and it was most delightful. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and the, funnily enough, the, the the message I got from him was I said how much I liked uh, jazz because I know he's a big he was a big jazz fan. Yeah. And he said it's really, really important to and to support jazz. He said uh, we mustn't let it sort of fade out, and and you know we must go and support uh, jazz gigs. So uh, that's the one particular message that I remember from Charlie Watts when I saw him. Uh, yeah, he always uh, seemed a very sort of gentle, gracious kind of character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, he was very polite and very um, very humble. And I got one picture taken with him, which was lovely. Uh, yeah, and a fantastic drummer. I mean, for me, the Rolling Stones, w- w- you know, would never be and are not the same without uh, Charlie Watts because uh, the style that he gave the, the, the drumming, being being a jazz drummer going into sort of an R and B blues band, it, it's like yeah, made, it just made all the put his own sort of swing on it, didn't Absolutely, he? Absolutely, yeah. And you know, it's it's like um, it's like the Who, isn't it? And Keith Moon, yeah. They could never replace Keith Moon, really, because he was just a unique drummer yeah, yeah. with a unique style. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, um, I know you met Robert Plant. And I'm a massive fan of Robert Plant. And I I know people who have met him and said he's such a nice person as well, right. down well, to earth. Well, I met him uh, only very briefly, again, because he was in the audience. Sounds like I'm stalking these people, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, he was at a gig at Portsmouth Guildhall, and it was... Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, so it was. Uh, uh, I, 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 I just happened to see him uh, and, and had a brief word, but we didn't speak for very long at all. But uh, it was a great gig because Chuck Berry uh, did the first half and then Jerry Lee Lewis did, did the second half. And, what a combination. Uh, uh, it was quite a combination. And the Chuck Berry was interesting because he he never used to tour with his own musicians. So he had some uh, British musicians that he was playing with who he'd probably never played with before. Mm. Um, And so that worked in that way. Uh, And then uh, the oddest thing of all, Jerry Lee Lewis, who I'm a huge fan of, um, uh, my uh, most memorable uh, vision of him was when he walked on the stage with a pipe (laughs) <laughs> the idea of him playing rock and roll uh, with a pipe uh, didn't quite get it for me. He only played for about half an hour. I can't imagine great. him smoking a pipe. That's not his image at all, is no, it? No. Yeah, but it was a great gig, and yes, Robert Plant just happened to be there because I know he's a he's a huge uh, yeah. fan of uh, still going strong. Those people, yeah, with a yeah, album out with Alison Krauss. Alison Krauss, yes, indeed. Second collaboration with her yeah really great album yeah now somebody else i really admire as well as a songwriter Mm. is gilbert o'sullivan ah yes yes well i went to see him a couple of years ago um and uh yeah i i always enjoyed gilbert o'sullivan's music Uh, again because i think perhaps uh he's he's a melody guy Mm. uh, and i think he was very influenced by uh, some of the early great songwriters like uh, Cole Porter and the Gershwins and Irving Berlin and Harry Warren and people like that. Um, so he uh, he was great when, when I went to see him play. And uh, yeah, he, he still has a fascinating way of writing songs uh, where uh, 
he writes the melody, the instrumental, completely, and then writes the words completely afterwards. And that is his way mm. he writes every single song that he writes. That is interesting. I'm not sure I could do that because I've I've tried uh, taking out the melody from some of my instrumentals and playing them and trying to come up with a, a lyric or a you know an alternative yeah. melody. It just yeah, doesn't work. So yeah, that's now Peter Green. Yes, Peter Green. Obviously, <clears throat> founder of Fleetwood Mac. Yes. And uh, brilliant blues guitarist as well. I think he yeah. was uh, with John Mayall's Blues Breakers for a while. He was. Uh, yeah. Didn't he replace Eric Clapton? I think he did. So what do you rem remember about that meeting? Well, I saw him. Uh, I went to see him play uh, at the um, Princess Hall in Aldershot. And I think it was a time when he'd been... Uh, cajoled to come back out playing again. I think mm. it was the Splinter Group, uh, and they basically encouraged him to come out uh, playing again because he was quite a recluse for quite a long while. Yeah. Uh, but he had a brief period when he came back to play. And I remember that gig, he played really, really well. He played uh, a, a lot of his well-known songs like Albatross and uh, some of the others. Need um, Your Love So Bad? Need love Your that. Love So Bad, love I'm, that I'm pretty sure he played that that night. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just got to meet him afterwards um, and uh, he had a very brief chat with him, but uh, it was uh, it was really nice to mm. meet Peter Green. He made a comeback album. He called the band Katmandu and the album was called A Case of the Blues. Oh, okay. Yes. And it was, um, it had Ray Dorsett, ex-Mungo Jerry. Oh, yes. On there, uh, Vince Crane from Atomic Rooster, yeah, on the keyboards, I think, uh -huh. and Len Surtees on bass, who hopefully I'm going to be speaking to later in the week. Yeah, um, didn't really do very much, no. unfortunately. No. Um, I think in his heyday, I mean, I know BB King, of all people, uh, named him as one of the best guitarists in the world. He was a huge Peter Green fan. So coming I, from someone yeah. like B.B. King, you know. He was in his oh, heyday. Very yeah. good. Now, I've, I've got a list of other people you've met. <laughs> so if I just mention them. <clears throat> okay. And maybe you've got some stories about them. Maybe you haven't. Bob oh, Harris, the legendary Bob Harris. Oh, yes, the legendary Bob Harris. I, I met Bob when he was doing a tour for his uh, autobiography um, <clears throat> and uh, Whispering Bob. Uh, yes, so I, I got to... Got to meet Bob. Uh, uh, he he really is a, a, a legendary, particularly radio DJ, but also, of course, from the, the whistle test and everything like that. Uh, I think the great thing about Bob is he's so supportive of um, up-and-coming uh, talent and artists yeah. and songwriters um, in whatever genre, particularly country these days, but... Uh, um, He's given a platform to so many different people. Um, I used to love yeah. him on the old Grey Whistle Test. Yeah. I mean, that was my <clears throat> sort of um, yeah. teenage years. Yeah, yeah uh, when, I can't remember what day it was on now, but it was on quite late, wasn't it? Everyone yeah, it was, else yeah. had gone to bed. It was like yeah. my special time watching yes. these yeah. amazing acts that I've never heard of before. Yes. Um, uh, people like... I, I remember seeing meatloaf well i didn't see them because they played one of their sort of um old film clips that they used to have on the oh, yes, test because yes, they yes. didn't have videos or anything like that yes 
but I'd heard um, Meatloaf's voice and I thought, wow, yeah. I've never heard anything like that in my life. It was amazing. Well, so, it's, it's important to have people like Bob Harris around who will introduce people to new music. You know, you yeah. need these people who can uh, guide you to uh, looking, looking at something new. And, and again, uh, you know, not just leaving it to the record companies to, to push their latest act. Mm. Yes, um, Albert Lee, fantastic, brilliant guitarist. Yeah. I mean, that um, so fast. Yes. And that sort of country style. Yes. Well, Country Boy was one of his big hits, wasn't it? Probably his most yeah. sort of uh, famous one. Yeah. Um, it was. Well, I was very lucky. I was actually the support act uh, at, a, at a local gig uh, that Albert did. And uh, uh, again, uh, I had a, a nice chat with him and... Um, I think most people will say he's one of the nicest guys you, you can meet, Albert Lee. Um, he comes across that way. Yeah, I've he, seen him really, interviewed. Yeah, yeah. And he was a big part of um, the Everly Brothers reunion as well. When, when the he? Everly Brothers got back together in 1983, I think it was, um, the, the Royal Albert Hall concert. Albert was in charge of the band. Uh, and, and at that point, Don and Phil Everly weren't even really talking together. Uh, so <laughs> I had he, a Simon he, and Garfunkel really moment. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, I've got Claire Teal. Claire Teal, uh, I went to uh, see her. Uh, I've seen her live a couple of times now. And um, Claire Teal is uh, not only a wonderful jazz singer, she's one of the few people who has incredible knowledge of um, musicians from the 1930s, 40s, 50s. Um, on her radio show, she's now on Jazz FM with her own show. Mm. Um she will talk about a record and, and she will tell you who the uh, trumpet player was, the saxophone player, uh, you know, whether it was tenor or, or alto, um, who's on trombone, uh, who the like drummer was. encyclopedia of jazz. Encyclopedia of jazz. Yeah. And, and she's a really, really nice person. And uh, um, as I say, as well as being a fantastic jazz singer, she's, uh, she's a great radio DJ as well. Yeah, and somebody else who went on to become a, a radio presenter, Jamie Cullum. Indeed, yeah. Oh, Jamie Cullum, yes. Oh, yes, I saw him at the, the Virgin Festival uh, early on in his uh, career when he was just, just starting to break out. I think he got discovered mainly on the Michael Parkinson show mm. um, on the BBC, and, and he went out to play. Um, yeah, I got to meet him briefly. Fantastic. Yeah. And Joe Brown, I mean, I think he's um, about to do or recently did his farewell um, concert, which is a shame. But I mean, he was like yeah. there in the the forefront of the sort of uh, rock, Absolutely. rock and roll era, wasn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. From the kind of early mid 60s. Yeah. Um, and again, a know, brilliant guitarist. And, and yeah, I mean, um, I, I went to see him live and uh, a fantastic musician. I mean, uh, effortlessly going from uh, you know guitar to ukulele to mandolin to any stringed instrument it seemed mm. he, he could play and for me actually um, his performance was the highlight of the concert for George um, the concert for George Harrison that Eric Clapton put together yeah fantastic concert because yeah. he closed the concert um, with uh, just his very simple rendition on the ukulele of I'll See You In My Dreams, which is an old jazz standard. Mm. And um, the simplicity of that song, he knew that George loved the ukulele as well. 
and uh, <clears throat> Joe Brown playing that song has become a, a bit of a signature tune for him, I think, now. If I could just move on to yeah. some of your other activities, because yeah. you write a, a weekly piece for the Farnham Herald. I do, music yes. Column. I write a music column. Yes, it goes in uh, various editions, Farnham, Alton, Hazelmere, Petersfield. How did that come about? Did you approach them or did they approach well, you? Well, no, they or? approached me. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, they just kindly asked if I'd like to uh, write a column. And so I do it really just to try and help the local music scene and mm. um, try and promote live music around the place. And speaking of which, uh, you got an award, didn't you, in 2020, Services to Farnham, presented by the Mayor of Farnham. Yeah. Yeah, that was very nice. Yeah, yes, must have been was, a proud moment. That was a proud moment, yes. Yeah, so that must have been fantastic. And you're, I think you're in the offing for another award with the GSMC, which stands for Graham Still Music Awards. <laughs> well, I've been nominated for one. Been nominated. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The results are due on the 20th of January, so you've got a few days to wait yet. But um, I've, I've voted for you, by the way, so <laughs> oh, that's very good. I did my you're bit. <laughs> and also... You volunteer in the Oxfam Music and Bookshop? Uh, yeah, I do, yes. Um, it, it's mainly if um, some musical instruments come in that they that they want to sell and uh, sheet music and that kind of thing. Um, so, so, yeah, it's uh, sheet music these days is not as popular as it was because most things are available on the internet. But uh, uh, it, it's quite nice, particularly for people who might be taking up an instrument uh, it, could yep. be, it could be the guitar, saxophone, the trumpet, piano, whatever it might be. And, uh, yeah, there's always a good selection of uh, sheet music books. might help yeah. people. I saw you've got a few um, vinyl albums in there as well from some oh, of the yeah, photographs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's a good selection I'll of vinyl in. in there. You'll have yeah, to pop because in. I've, it's a good shop. Yeah, I've got a bit of a collection. It's, it's one of those shops, you go in there, you think you don't want anything, you come out with something. Hmm. <laughs> I'll definitely have to pay you a visit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing that you're involved in uh, on a yearly basis and have been for some time is the Wayfest event. Yes. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Near Way Frensham. In yeah. It, it takes place at the, uh, I think they call it now the Rural Life, Life Centre. Used to be called the Rural Life Centre. It's now called the Rural Life Living Museum. Ah, okay. There we are. Um uh, but it's a great venue for, for the festival. That's been going for um, uh, well over 10 years now, about mm. 12 years, I think. Do you know, and, uh, I've never been. Ah, uh, you, you've got to go, Tony. And it's so literally it's, 10 minutes drive from here. Seriously, it's a great festival, Tony. You, yeah. You're missing something. You, you must go I to must. Wayfest. It's I a must very family-friendly festival, and uh, there have been many, many big acts playing there over the years. But uh, I host the rustic stage yeah. uh, with a guy called Chris Ross, and uh, it tends to be the more acoustic orientated uh, acts. But we've had a number of um, a, a number of uh, talented people play over, over the years, mm. um, uh, and um, you know some have gone on to other things. One year I, I did get uh, I was hoping to get Ward Thomas, uh, who are yeah. very popular now. Yeah. Um, and w when I told the Wayfest organisers that I got them for a rustic stage, they, they immediately bumped them onto a bigger stage. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was uh, good good to get people like uh, like like them on there. But uh, but no, Wayfest is uh, four stages there, and it probably is the, the biggest festival in Surrey now. Um, it's Must only, be. It's it only, always creeps up on yeah, me. I just yeah. suddenly see, 
Oh, it's next weekend. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing some. I'm, I'm working. You're or working something. It's too yeah. late. It's so. in August every year. Yeah. In August. Yeah. Right. I'll make a note of that. Yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Vic, thank you so much for doing this. It's been really interesting talking oh, you're to welcome, you. Good Tony. to catch up with you again. Yeah. So all that remains to say is, Vic Cracknell, thank you very much for appearing on the Rockface podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that chat with Vic about his performing, songwriting and his encounters with some of his music heroes. That chat went on for quite a while after we finished recording and he gave me quite a few um, useful tips and suggestions for future guests. So I'm really grateful that he managed to fit me into his busy schedule. So many thanks to Vic and many thanks to you for listening. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it and come back again for another edition of the Rockface podcast.